every big thing starts small. It's a natural law. Every big multinational corporation was once a small business. Welcome to the Small Starter Business Podcast, a unique podcast for practical tips and advice to help you start, grow, or turn around your business. Welcome to another episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. I am your host, John Paul Iwoha. Today's episode focuses on another very important topic. And uh, the topic is about why customers don't buy and what you can do about it. I think the very best um, place to start with uh, this topic is the concept of crickets. Actually, crickets is a metaphor which is common within um, uh, entrepreneurship circles. Um, For those of you who don't know what crickets are, it's what happens when you put your heart into building and selling a product, into starting a business or creating a service, and then nobody's buying it. You put it out there, you put a a price tag on it, and nobody's buying it. Crickets, so no action, nothing is happening. Now, this can be a very scary and disappointing situation for entrepreneurs because really nobody wants to Nobody wants to build something that they think is valuable and then put it out there. And the, mar- the market, you know, is just not responding. And this is usually what happens when your assumptions meet the reality in the market. Now, what this means is before you build a product or start a business, there are certain assumptions you've made in your head about what you think people want, what you think people are going to buy, what you think um, your customers are going to like or people are going to buy. And then when you actually produce it and put it for sale, that's when your assumptions meet reality. And most times you may be wrong. You may have mistimed or misassumed some, made some faulty assumptions about the market. And I'm going to talk um, more about that. But why this topic is important is because it is an urgent problem that has to be solved. And that's because if there are no customers, there can be no sales. And if there are no sales, it's a dead business. There is no business that survives without money coming in from customers who are buying the product or or paying for a service. So this is an urgent problem that entrepreneurs need to solve. If you're going through a situation where you have a product or service on sale and the market is not responding as you expected that they will respond, it's either they are not buying or the sales are just trickling in one today, maybe another one next week, then this is an urgent problem that needs to be solved. And I'm going to focus in the rest of this episode, I'm going to focus on the five major reasons why people don't buy and what you can actually do about it. So this is really going to be very interesting because it is practical, it is to the point, and after this episode, you you should have um, clues and very relevant tips that you can apply to start resolving this problem before it takes down your business. The first reason customers don't buy is no need. Now, this is clearly one of the most obvious reasons why customers don't buy. Now, nobody buys stuff that they don't need. And the reason this happens in a business is that you have misunderstood what value means to the customer. People buy stuff that they value. And if what you're selling is not valuable to them or they think it's not valuable to them, they're not going to buy. Now, one major reason why there is no need is it's either the market doesn't have the problem or need that you think they have or they're not bothered about solving it. So those are two common reasons. It's either 
you're selling something people don't really need. So you think they need it. You've assumed that they need it. But in, in reality, they really don't. Or maybe you're right. They need it. It's a problem that they have. But guess what? They're not bothered enough to solve it because maybe the problem is not um, very serious or it doesn't have any serious consequences. Or maybe they don't even know the consequences and costs of not solving the problem. So typically, having no need is one major reason why customers don't buy. But how do you resolve this problem? So the first step towards resolving this problem is to understand what value really means to your potential customers. So value is what people pay for. But what does it really mean to your customers? How would they know it is value when they see it, when you, when you sell it to them? How would they know that this thing is valuable to them? Now, one common way of discovering what value means to customers is to look at and focus on their needs and pain points. What are they complaining about? What are they telling you they are frustrated about? What do they wish they had? What do they wish were available on the market? What do they wish is better than what you're currently giving them or better than what other businesses are selling to them? So complaints, frustrations, and wishes usually couch and frame value for customers because what is valuable is what resolves the complaints, the frustrations, and the wishes that, that, that they have. Now, most people may not know what they need, but they know very well what their problems and frustrations are. So if you ask somebody, what do you need? They may not really, they, they may tell you, they may tell you something and when you present it to them, they may not buy. And that's because there's a school of thought that believes that people don't really know what they need, but people know exactly what their problems are. They know what frustrates them. They know what stresses them out. And if you ask them, those, those quickly, um, those quickly come to mind. And one, one um, typical example for this is the vehicle revolution, the automobile re revolution. Before cars came, what we had, what we had was the, the horse and buggy. So you had a horse, one, two or more horses in front, and then there was a wagon be, be, you know, behind the, the, the horses. So the improvements in transportation in those days were just incremental. It's either you add more horses or there were better breeders for the horses or there were better enhancements to the wagon. You understand? If you ask people in the market in those days, what do you need? It will be difficult for them to tell you they know that, that they need a car because they've never seen a car before. They didn't know what a car was. Somebody had to build a car and show it to the market before they realize, oh, okay, this is actually better than, than what we currently have. Another way to resolve the need um, issue is to look at every customer on a spectrum. And here's what I mean. There's a, there's a framework known as the Open Framework, O-P-E-N, Open Framework. I can't quite remember where, where I learned this from. But what it says is all your customers are not equally aware of what they need. And the first is the O in the Open Framework. O means ob ob um, oblivious. Some of your customers will be oblivious to the problems that they have. They may have the problem, but they might not know that they have that problem. So unless something triggers it or aggravates it, they are unlikely going to respond to your sales process because as far as they are concerned, they don't have the problem um, you, you, you're trying to, you, they don't have the problem you're talking about or the problem that you claim your product or service solves. The next step is the P. Now, the P means pondering. In the P stage, the customer realizes they have a problem, but they are thinking of how to solve it. So they are pondering, oh, this is a problem. How do I resolve it? They don't have any idea how to resolve it. They, they may not have seen any solution or product that they are interested in. 
The next step is the E, which is engaged. At that point, the customer is actively looking for a solution, a product. They are interested in things like the price, the, the benefits of the product, the features, what they will get if they buy, and things like that. And then the N is the needy. Now, any customer who is in the end stage is hot to buy. You show them a product right now, they are going to buy it because they need it right now. So all your customers are not going to respond the same way. And this is the reason why you walk into a room of 100 potential customers and you try to sell to them. Maybe just about 2 to 5% will buy today, right now. They are the ones who are already in the needy stage. They are ready and primed. They've been thinking about that problem for quite some time. They've been looking for a solution. And the moment you show up, they are going to buy it from you. But the rest of the other people are still on their own journey. And that is why it's important to maintain the relationship because you don't know when the trigger will show up and push some of your potential customers into the needy stage. So this is why it's always important to build rapport, build a relationship, stay in touch so that when they are in the needy or engaged position, they quickly um, um, call, call you. Now, let me just give a simple analogy to explain this open framework. The oblivious stage will be a person who, who has been invited to a wedding, a lady who has been invited to a wedding, and um, you're trying to sell her shoes, you know, like high-heeled shoes, which would be nice for an event like that. And she's like, mm, I, don't re I don't really need, I don't need um, these shoes. I already have shoes. Yes, I'm going for a wedding, but I already have shoes. Then in the pondering stage, maybe she's gone to check out her wardrobe and she discovers that all the shoes she has, none of them really is a match for the dress she plans to wear. So she's thinking, what shoe should I wear? Should I buy a new shoe? What exactly should I do? By the time she gets to the engaged stage, which is the E stage, she's already thinking, I need to buy a shoe. I am going to buy a shoe. But then what is my budget? Um, how much am I looking for? What brand of shoe do I need to buy? And things like that. Then by the time she gets to N, maybe the wedding is just a couple of days away and she's under pressure. So she needs to buy the shoe right now. There's, she's run out of time, she's run out of options, she needs to buy it right now. So you need to realize that all your customers are, are you know, in, in a spectrum and all of them are not going to be hot to buy. If you're just selling to people right now, just a small percentage will buy. But over time, many of them will convert because all your customers do not equally need what you're selling. It all depends on uh, the stage where they are. So that's it for no need. The second reason why people don't buy and what you can do about it. The second reason why people don't buy is no desire. Now, there's a very important difference between needing something and desiring something. And let me explain. So people don't buy what they need. Yes, I know I'm, I know I'm contradicting what I just said earlier, but just give me a few, a few seconds. People don't buy what they need. They buy what they want. So you may see something, you know you need it, but you're just not buying it because buying it means you're going to have to reach for your wallet, bring out money and pay. And paying money, spending money on anything for many people is painful because money is leaving you, you know? So people don't necessarily buy what they need. They buy what they want. And I'll give you proof. So you use products like um, Coca-Cola, you know, or alcohol. So let's use Coca-Cola, for example. Do you really need to, to drink Coca-Cola? What exactly is Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola is what? Just sugar water. It's like sweetened water with fizzy, with um, um, carbon dioxide, you know? That's exactly what it is. Health-wise, body function-wise, 
water is healthier than Coke. Everybody knows this. It's um, all, the, all the health pundits have been giving that advice. Avoid carbonated drinks, avoid sugary drinks. But still, Coca-Cola sells billions of dollars in products every single year. Do you know why that is? People know they don't need Coke. People know Coke is not healthy. But people want Coke. That's why they buy Coke. The same thing with alcohol. Everybody tells you the less alcohol you have, the better, the more healthy you'll be. But still, alcohol sells billions of volumes every year. Why? People know they don't need alcohol, but they want alcohol, so they buy alcohol. And cigars, for example, don't smoke. Smokers are liable to die young and things like that. People know that smoking is not good for their health. They know they don't need cigarettes. But why do they buy cigarettes? Why is this, is the is tobacco industry a multi-billion dollar industry? It's because people want cigarettes. So you cannot be under the illusion that people are automatically going to buy what they need. That's not how it works. People will only buy something if they want it. So you may have different brands of the same of the same type of product. Why do people end up buying one particular brand, even though all the other products, all the other brands may be cheaper and stuff? It's because they want that brand. So desire is very different from need. If you're selling something just because you think people need it, you're not doing enough work. Because unless you get into the desire level, people are not going to reach for their products and, and, and buy. So this is exactly why, um, you know, the products are giving an example of even things that are obviously not healthy, luxury products, things that are things that are significantly priced, priced above and beyond, and still people buy it. They know they can buy something more affordable, you know, after all, it does the same job, but they still end up buying the higher thing. And that's because that's what they want. So your product may solve, your product may be good. You may have a great product, a great service. It may actually solve a problem, you know, uh, fulfill a need or satisfy a want. But you have to make people want it because if people don't want it, they don't buy. Remember, people don't buy what they need. They buy what they want. So how do you resolve the problem where you have a product to sell, it's a good product, but people just don't have the desire to buy it? So this is how you can trigger desire. The first is to sell benefits and not features. And let me, let me, let me show you what the difference is. If you're selling benefits, you're selling the outcomes of using your product or using your service. Benefits are more emotional. You know, they appeal to the mind. They they, they transport the customer into the future and say, if you buy my product, this is how you are going to look. This is how you're going to feel. This is what you're going to get, you know, after you use the product. Features are more logical and technical. Features, feature, features focus on what the product can do. It can do this. It's sophisticated. It's very technical. It's intuitive. All of all those things. But the truth is, people don't really care about features except in certain situations. Most people care about benefits and most benefits are emotional. And let me give you an example. You see, nobody joins the gym just because they want to wake up early in the morning and go and lift weights. You know, if you really think about it, lifting weights is laborious, it's difficult, it's um, time consuming. You know, you could actually use that same time and hang out. But why do people join? Why do people buy a gym membership? Why do people want to you know, take, um, lift weights and do exercise. The reason is because of the benefits. People do not join gyms to lift weights. They join because they want to improve their health. They want to look more attractive to themselves and to the opposite sex. They want to feel more confident. They want to pursue a higher purpose in life. 
As you can imagine, all these things I've mentioned, better health, attractiveness, confidence, higher purpose. These are not the typical things you see inside the gym. You walk into the gym, you see all sorts of equipment. But people don't join because of the equipment. They join because of the benefits, what they're going to get by what they're going to get um, you know, through the process. So if you're selling a gym by saying, we have the latest and best in class equipment, we have this equipment, we have the other equipment, we have all of, what you're selling are features. And most people really don't care about features. But if you're selling, you know, you join our gym, within three to six months, you're going to have toned abs, toned muscles, you're going to feel more confident, your health is going to improve, your cardiovascular health is going to improve, you know, all of all those things. Then you get people interested because you can now show people a glimpse of the future. Those are the seeds of desire. That is why, that is what creates desire in people and make them want it. So you, people know that, you know, better health is good for them. But you need to sell it to them in a way that triggers desire. And another way to resolve the no desire uh, problem is to craft the right offer. Your offer is not just your product and your price. Your offer is far beyond your product and your price. Your product, your, your, your offer in, includes things like the, the risk, you know, customers are going to take if they buy your product. What are you, what are you doing about the risk? I'm going to tell you more about that um, later on in, in this episode. Things like payment terms, things like sweeteners you know, flexibility and things like that. So if you craft the right offer, then you, you just look, you look beyond what your product is and what your price is. And people now see that you're selling them a package, not just a product or a service. The next major reason why customers don't buy is no money. Now, this is one of the obvious ones, but it looks, it actually is actually deeper than it seems. So when somebody says they don't have money to buy, it can mean several different things. So you can't just take that as an excuse and walk away. When people say they don't have money, one common reason is that they don't value what you're selling. Now, after all, people go, people go out and max out their credit cards. They go and take loans. They borrow money from people to buy something that they desire. When people desire something, they will go above and beyond to buy it. So if somebody is telling you they, they don't have money for it, yes, it could be that they really don't have money. But one other obvious reason could be that they don't value what you're selling. And that's because people will only pay for what they value. And uh, one common mistake... Um, entrepreneurs make is that we confuse value with price. Value is not the same thing as price. Uh, most people will not just buy something on the basis of price. If that were the case, then luxury items will not exist. Higher priced items will not exist. But people still, people see a low priced um, product and a high priced one and they end up buying the high priced one. Why? The two products do the same thing. So why are they buying the high priced one? So it's all about value. So when somebody tells you that they don't have money, the first place you need to focus on is, is it a problem of value? Is it that they do not understand the value or appreciate the value enough to put a price on it? And, you know, a typical example would be a Rolex watch. A Ro Rolex watches have a long tradition. You know, they are, they are a luxury item within the watch industry. But when you really think about it, what is a Rolex watch? A Rolex watch is like every other watch. It tells time. You can buy a $10 watch and it tells you exactly the same time that a Rolex tells you. But why do people pay, why do people pay 100 times the price of an ordinary watch to buy a Rolex? And that's because a Rolex means more than just a watch. It's a status symbol. It's a luxury item. It's something that denotes your class and rank in society. It's an exclusive club. 
That's what Rolex stands for. So anybody who's buying a Rolex is not looking at the price. The person expects the price to be to be high, to be much, much higher than the ordinary one. But when you look at a Rolex, are just a, a watch that just tells time. You know, then you're missing the point. So value is not the same thing as price. And when people tell you they don't have money, the first place you need to focus on is either they do not understand the value that this provides or they do not um, appreciate the value. The other, then when we get, when, when you've resolved the value question, the other thing you need to look for is the purchasing power and the price sensitivity, which are very important factors. All your customers all the, all the, all the uh, people in your audience may not have the same purchasing power. Some people may earn more money than others. Some people may, may be more, may be less price sensitive, uh, you know, than, than others. So it's something that you need to, you need to um, look at. So how do you resolve the no, the no money problem? One way, one option could be that you may be targeting the wrong audience. By wrong audience, I mean people who do not have the money or don't appreciate the value of what you're selling. So if you're, if, you're, if you're selling a luxury item and you're targeting the unemployed or people who, are, who, who earn low wages, then no matter how much they desire the product, they are never going to buy because they cannot afford it. So if you're selling to poor people, they don't have access to maybe credits or things like that, then you're backing up the, the, wrong, the, wrong, uh, the wrong tree. Maybe you're selling a product that companies and organizations may, have, may be able to afford, but then you're selling it to individuals, then you're going to run into trouble because they may value it, they may desire it, but if they don't have the money, they, they can't buy it. The other thing that helps if it's a value problem, if you notice it's not really that they don't have money, but that they, they, the customers don't value what you're selling. It helps to contrast the price versus the cost of the problem. Now, the price of a problem is what it costs you to solve that problem. The, the price of a problem is what it will take to solve your problem. So the price of your problem may be $100, $120, which is the price of your product because your product is a solution to the problem. So the price relates to the solution. But the cost of the problem is what it continues to take away from the customer by having that problem. Now, the cost may not have uh, direct financial um, consequences, but it may be in the form of stress, it may be in form of financial losses. It may be in form of lost time. So, for example, you are trying to sell um, a, a new piece of equipment to a, a small business. And then this business is in the manufacturing industry. And you know that the more products they can manufacture, the more they can sell. So the cost of not solving, the cost of not, not changing that equipment and buying your equipment is that they are going to be losing production they are going to be losing products that they can sell due to the low efficiency of the, the, um, the, the machine that they're currently using. That's the cost of the problem. So every day they are using that old machine, they are losing money because the additional products that that machine could have produced is not coming out. So they are not selling and they're not making additional money. And every time that equipment breaks down, it is inconveniencing to the business. It is frustrating to the owner. That is the cost of the problem. The price of the problem is your, your price tag, $1,000. With $1,000, you can kiss this problem goodbye. And um, you know your business can go on and produce at a higher efficiency. Another way to resolve the problem is to change your payment terms. So for example, you're selling a product for $1,000. Now, a customer may not be able to afford $1,000 right now, which you're asking for. But maybe if you ask them to pay $100 every 10, for, for the next 10 months, then that way you now have a lot more people who can afford it. So you need to look at, will it help you to use a one-time payment? Are you charging people a, a big lump sum, $1,000? 
or if they keep complaining that they don't have the money, it doesn't fit their budget, it could help for you to spread it over time. That way you can bring more people into the, the net of your, of your customer base because more people will be able to afford the, the flexible payment plan compared to the one-time one price. Another reason why customers don't buy, the fourth one, is no hurry. Now, you need to pay close attention to this one. The reason no hurry is a major problem is that most people are habitual procrastinators. So especially if the amount is considerable, especially if what you're selling requires or demands a high amount of money, like maybe you're selling, a house, you're selling houses or you sell cars or you're selling like higher education, like an MBA or school degree. When the amount is considerable, people procrastinate. And that's because procrastination is an easier alternative than reaching for their wallets or bringing out their checkbook and writing you a check or giving you the money. So when people are faced with a tough decision, most people procrastinate because it's an easier option. You just kick the can down the road and tell the person, I'll think about this later because it's difficult to think about, you know, that large kind of money. And that's because spending money can be painful. So people tend to delay or postpone. When the amount of money is considerable, people tend to delay or postpone. But if it's just a few cents, maybe sweets or just impulse, that's why they are called impulse buys. All these little things that you see just by the counter in the supermarket, things that you don't really need to think about to buy because they cost so little that you just don't bother. You just quickly you know, pick them up in, in, um, in, in um, small or large quantities. But when the amount to be spent is considerable, it can be a painful experience for people. So people take the easy way out. They delay or they postpone the decision. And once they delay, delays can often lead to distractions. And when people delay, they tend to forget. They tend to change their mind. So that's why not being in a hurry is a problem for a person who's trying to sell. Because if people are not in a hurry and they procrastinate, anything can happen after they procrastinate. Uh, your competitor could show up, other issues that they have with life, you know, and things like that. So you really do not control, you really do not control those odds. So how do you... Um, get around the um, no hurry problem. Now, one tactic you can use to get around the um, no hurry when you notice that your customers or potential customers are willing to procrastinate, you, one way out of it is to amplify the cost of delay. So you need to let the customers know that for every day, now that you've identified that, now that they've identified that they have this problem, for every day or every hour that they delay the implementation of a solution, they are going to be losing money, they are going to be losing time, they are going to be losing potential. Now, most people think that procrastination is harmless. They think that when they delay a decision, they are not losing anything. But it's your job to point out to them what they are actually losing by delaying that decision. That you, you need to let them know that because the cost of delay is so expensive, the better alternative is to actually decide and resolve the problem once and for all and buy your product once and for all so that they can have peace of mind. So you need to amplify the cost of the delay. Another option, another tactic is to amplify the desire. So remember, we already touched on desires. If, if you can amplify the desires, the outcomes they are going to get by buying your product or using your service. Strong, a strong desire tends to be an antidote to procrastination. When people desire something so much, they really um, get into a hurry and they tend to buy. They are action-oriented. That's one um, 
serious major advantage of desire desire prompts people to take action so if you can amplify the desire and make people say what they are missing out on or what they are going to miss out on by procrastinating or not buying your products now then people can tend to take you up on your offer then another another tactic around this is to give people a reason to act remember people are going to procrastinate if you give them the option People are going to procrastinate anyway because procrastination is a common habit. So, but to get people to take action, to motivate them to take action, you need to give them a reason to act. And there are different things you can do. You could give one-time offers. Buy this now at this price or after today, the price changes. The price goes up. So a one-time offer, an exclusive offer incites the customer to take action. Another option would be expiring discounts. So we have a 15% discount or a 50% discount for three days only. After three days, the discount disappears. Now, that's a reason for a potential customer to act. Another option is the deadlines. You know, we're going to be selling this for this period. So that is why even big companies use this. Coca-Cola, a lot of uh, fast-moving consumer goods product um, manufacturers use this. You will always see the, the, the phrase, hurry now while offer lasts. Hurry now while offer lasts. And all these big brands, all these big businesses use it because they know that people tend to procrastinate. But if you nudge them by giving them a reason to act, maybe using deadlines or discounts or one-time offers or exclusive offers, then you can get people to, to act. And then we've come to the, to the fifth reason why most customers do not buy and what you can do about it. So the fifth reason is no trust. Now, the trust issue is a very subtle issue that a lot of entrepreneurs do not really realize and appreciate the power of. We make a lot of assumptions about trust. And I'm hoping in the next few seconds, I'm going to, um, I'm going to help you understand the mistakes you may have been making in this direction. Now, when you look at it from the customer's side, fear and risk hold people back. You even, we don't even need to look at the customer side. You too are a customer because you buy products from other businesses. Imagine what it feels like buying a product for the first time, a product you have never seen before or you've never heard before and somebody's trying to sell it to you. How exactly does it make you feel? The first is fear. You feel a lot of fear and there's a lot of risk, apprehension about risk. And this is the way it manifests. It manifests in your head as questions. One common question is, what if this doesn't work for me? So it's a product you don't know. You haven't used it before. So there's no, there's no basis of trust. So the common question, a rational question would be, what if it doesn't work for me? Another question would be, what if I lose my money? What if I spend my money buying this and I lose the money? Another question would be, what if I don't like the product? So what if I buy it and use it, but I don't like the product? That means I've lost my money. Another question would be, what if I don't get the support I need after I pay? So maybe it's like a complex thing. Maybe it's an equipment or a piece of technology and I may need help installing it. What if the person who is selling it does not give me the right support I need to use this thing and get the full benefit? So these are common ways that trust issues show up, you know, in our heads. And it's very common when you're buying from a business for the first time or when you're trying a product for the first time or when somebody is trying to sell you something that you don't really know or haven't heard of. Now, how do you resolve the no trust issue? How do you move from a position of no trust and try, try to trigger some trust in the mind of, um, of a potential customer? One tactic is social proof. Now, social proof will be references from your, from your existing customers or from past customers or customers that you've done projects for. Testimonials. Testimonials are the good things that your customers are saying about you. 
and case studies. A case study would be, we had this client, they had this problem. We went in and then after we, after we, after we worked with the clients, these are the results they had. Their profits increased by 20%. Their customer numbers increased by 40%. So real case studies that people can go verify. So social proof is important because what it tells people is, yes, I don't know this guy, but if other people are saying good things about him, then probably he's a good guy. Or if other people are saying good things about this product, then maybe it's a really good product. That's the job of social proof. Another way to resolve the no trust issue is to reverse the risk. Like I mentioned, when you're trying something for the first time, you're thinking in terms of risk. What if it doesn't work for me? What if I lose my money? What if I don't like the product? So what if you reverse the risk and say, okay, do, hold on, don't pay any money. Maybe you should taste it. So you have like a taste test. You're, you're giving people a sample to taste the product and see if they like it before they actually buy. Now, what that does is it reverses the risk. Rather than pay before I, I try out the product, I can actually test it. And if I like it, I can buy. So that way you've reversed the risk. Another one is a test period. This is uh, a test or trial period. These days, this is very common in software and apps. You download the software and there's a seven-day trial period or a 30-day trial period. That period allows you to run the software and use it and see if you like it. And if you like it, after the trial period expires, then the company charges you. So by reversing the risk, you reduce the apprehension and the fears that your potential customers um, have. Another way to reverse risk is to offer guarantees. And there are two major types of guarantees. You could offer a return guarantee, which is if you buy this product and you don't like it, you can return it within seven days or 30 days. That's a return, uh, return guarantee. And when you return it, we can, you have the option to choose any other product that you want. That's return. There's also a refund policy. If you buy this product, you don't like it, you can come back, you can return the product to us and we'll refund you your money. So when you offer these things, it helps to, it's not as if it builds trust, but it removes the issue of risk. After all, what does the customer have to lose? They can use the product in advance and if they don't like it, they don't pay. Another tactic to resolve the no trust issue is to build familiarity and rapport. Now, the reason this is important and the reason you need to pay close attention to this is familiarity and rapport is the foundation of trust. People have to know you first. And after they know you, they have to like you. And only after they like you, can they trust you? It's difficult to find somebody that you trust, but you don't like them. You see, foundation, the foundation of trust is likeness. You need, to, you need to like that person. You need to like that product. You need to like that service. It needs to appeal to you before you start to build the early bits of trust on top. And there is one common way I see entrepreneurs make a, lot, a big mistake in this regard. Some entrepreneurs try to sell on social media. Now, these days, social media, a very easy channel for advertising. It's, a, it's affordable. So a lot of people are jumping on social media marketing. But the problem that they are making, which, is making which, is, which has allowed companies like Facebook to make a lot of money is a lot of people do not understand how marketing and selling to strangers work, which is exactly what social media marketing is. What you're saying is, Facebook, I want to target people who may be interested in my product. Now, those people you're trying to target may not have heard of you before, they haven't seen you before, they don't know your product, they don't know your service. So you can imagine my shock when I'm going through my Facebook feed and I'm seeing a product that is for sale. I've never heard of this product before. I don't know the seller. I, I don't know. Uh, yes, the, the product looks like something that I need. This, the product looks like something I want to buy, but I cannot buy because there's no trust. 
What if I buy this thing and I don't receive it and it's not sent to me? What if I buy it and it doesn't work? And the reason I'm asking all these questions is I don't know the seller. And this person is seeing me for the first time and the first thing they're telling me to do is buy, buy my product. I can't buy your product. I don't know who you are. So before you ask people to buy, you need to build familiarity and rapport. The first thing you tell them is not to buy. The first thing is maybe you offer something for free. You know, something for free that shows them, that proves in advance what you can do, what your expertise is. So if I, if I get something from you that, you know, teaches me something, gives me insight, helps me, and I don't pay anything, then you have built the foundation to sell me something. Because now I know you, I know what you can do. I've tasted one of your work. I've seen the quality of your work. I've seen how much insight I got for free. Then you can sell to me. Another way to resolve the, um, the no trust problem is to establish authority and credibility. There are people that you, there are people that we are primed to instantly trust. So one example would be, you can imagine when you watch an advertisement on TV for a health product, you usually see that the person advertising is wearing a doctor's coat, a white coat. Now, the moment we see somebody wearing a white coat, we assume that that person is, you know, a more or less a pundit, an experienced person, an expert. But the truth is the people in all those adverts are actors. They are actors, but they are wearing a doctor's uh, suit, the, the white, the white um, overall that they wear. So instantly, we tend to give them more credibility. And that's because we value expertise. We value people who have qualifications, who have a license, a certification, an award. All these things help to build authority and credibility. So if you have won an award before in the industry for quality, for customer focus or customer service, or in any relevant area, it helps for you to tout that award. If you have a certification that proves that you know, you're an expert at doing something from a prestigious organization. It helps to tout it. All these things help to build trust. If you're licensed by the government or by the authorities to provide a service, or you've been qualified for something, you have an ISO qualification on any or any relevant qualification that helps to enhance your authority and credibility, you will be, it will be easier for you to build trust, even in total strangers. And trust is a basis for the sale. You know, people need to have some level of trust or confidence in you before they can buy. So I hope um, in this lesson, we've been able to cover a lot of um, interesting ground. The five reasons, the five common reasons why people don't buy. The first is no need. The second is no desire. People don't buy what they need. They buy what they want. The third is no money. But don't forget, don't mix up value with price. When people say they don't have money, it could actually be that they don't understand the value or they don't value, they don't appreciate the value. The fourth is no hurry. When people have the option to procrastinate, they will procrastinate. And when people procrastinate, the likelihood of buying your product or service reduces. So you need to resolve it through the methods I already explained to you. And the fifth is no trust. People have to know you, they have to like you, and then on top of that, trust can come. And it's when trust happens or some elements of trust happen that um, people will end up uh, buying. So the reality is the way it works Entrepreneurship is a journey. It's actually a lonely journey. You will constantly need help with attracting customers and growing your sales. So um, rather than just depend on episodes like this, or you take a course here or a course there, that's why we built the Insiders Program. The Insiders Program is a community of entrepreneurs 
who are building their businesses on a day-to-day, week-by-week, month-to-month basis. I am in there with them, work directly with them. Uh, These problems show up. So most times it's not, it's not in black and white the way I explained it. Every business is the same. Every situation is the same. Every scenario is the same. So as you come up with those scenarios, we'll work together inside the insider's private community to resolve any problems you're having with selling your product or any issues you're having with getting customers to buy your product. And if you want to join the insider's program or check out or learn more about what we do in the insider's program, you head over to small Star starter.com slash insiders. That's again, a smallstarter.com slash insiders. The second thing I need you to do is to tell your friends about this podcast. The more people who are able to learn from the insights and tips and advice that we get on this podcast, the more successful businesses we're going to have, the more confident entrepreneurs we're going to have, the more businesses we can build that can create wealth and create jobs and empower our societies. And the third thing I need you to do um, after listening to this episode, is to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Uh, leaving a, a five-star review either on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast helps more people find us. Because the more the more good ratings we have, the more um, highly we are placed on this search platform so that other entrepreneurs like you can find this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and I look forward to wowing you in the very next one. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. To take our free business courses or join one of our signature programs for special entrepreneurs like you, head over to smallstarter.com to join our private community. See you inside.